Good evening. We are thankful for the presence of each and every one. Glad to see the Nelsons had safety in their travels and glad they're back here with us this evening. We do want to remember, as was mentioned, the Prashnicks as well, as they are traveling on their way home as well. Our lesson tonight is looking at the final two chapters of the book of Micah, looking at really the topic of the importance of gratitude and and sincerity as we find it here in Micah chapter 6 and 7 because what we find in Micah chapter 6 and 7 are the attitudes concerning blessings and also really the attitude or the need rather when it comes to repenting and coming back to God the need for sincerity. We'll begin in chapter 6 in Micah and we find in chapter 6 we begin by looking at this idea of does Israel have a case against God because we find in Micah chapter 6 Israel had been complaining and basically accusing God of not providing for them and different things such as that but we know also in context that Israel at this time had departed from God they, had, they were not doing that which is pleasing in the sight of God that's why we find as we go through this the need for them to repent and return to Him mankind has had several problems since time began some of them include arrogance and gratitude and insincerity, and we'll see all those things as we go through this this evening. As we look at Micah chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 through 5, we find Israel's ingratitude and also their complaints towards God. And here, you notice here in Micah chapter 6, it's the Lord that is speaking. It's the Lord who is asking these rhetorical questions in Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. The idea there, that public idea coming out and publicly saying, This is what we have against the Lord. In verse 2 he says, Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint, notice here, against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you, and, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me, that is, bring your case against me, right? For I have brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now those there in verse 4, those things are mentions are specific blessings from God. You notice there he says, I have redeemed you from the house of bondage. So I'm not bringing them out of Egypt. And sent you before, sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Talking about these various people who were going to guide them in their way. And so we find there in verse 4 several blessings by themselves just there in verse 4. But we look at verse 5. He says, O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Well, what were they doing here in Micah chapter 6? They were complaining against God. You notice there in verse 2 of Micah chapter 6, the Lord has a complaint against His people. Well, His complaint is indeed righteous, and it is indeed spot on, as we might say, and that they were saying that He had wearied them, that He had not provided for them. But yet in verse 4, he tells them, he gives them several examples of how instead how he has provided for them, how he has cared for them. You notice there in verse 3, he asks the questions, What have I done to you? And how have I wearied 
you. Really, in reality, it's the people who had done things against God. It was the people who have done things to weary God. But if God is asking the question, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? It seems to be these questions are, asked, are being asked because of their actions against God and because of disobedience towards God. Look with me now at verses 6 through 8. And look what uh, the people are to offer. What must the people offer up to God here in Micah chapter 6? Or, yeah, chapter 6, verses 6 and, and following. What shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? We think about, if we look there in verses 6 and 7, they're saying, do you want us to bring all these things? What we find here is that none of these things would matter because there's no sincerity in them. And of course the Lord does not want us to bring our own firstborn. But the idea is that their sincerity is so far gone that nothing they could bring to God would matter because their heart wasn't in it. It doesn't matter how many worship services we attend if our heart is not in it. It doesn't matter how many Bible classes we come to, how many various church events we attend. If our heart is not in it, nothing changes. And that's what we find here in Micah chapter 6. You notice there in verse 8, a very well-known verse, when the, Lord, when the Bible says here, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord requires those things of us to do what is right and good and pleasing in His sight. That is to do justly, to love mercy, no doubt to show mercy to others, and no doubt the Lord will show mercy to us. Christ tells us we want to have our sins forgiven. We must also forgive those who have sinned against us. He says there in verse 8, And to walk humbly with your God. That phrase, to walk humbly, is talking about how we live our life. That word walk is used numerous times in scriptures to describe or to give the idea of how we're to live before God. Well, he says here we are to walk or to live humbly with your God. Humbly, no doubt, is going to include that when we fail, when we fall short, we're going to repent. We're going to come back to God if we are humble and we walk with God. But if we're not humbly walking with God, we're not going to come back to Him with sincerity. And that's what we find here in verses 6 through 8. None of these things matter that are mentioned because their heart wasn't in it. Their heart was not in it. There was no sincerity. Looking at verses 9 through verse 16, we find no charges could be found against Jehovah. In, in Micah 6, beginning in verse 9, the, Lord, the Lord's voice cries to the city, Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod. Who has appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the short measure that, it, that is an abomination? Shall I count pure those with the wicked scales, and with the bag of deceitful weight? For her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies, and her tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but, sh but shall not save them. And what, do you do and, what, 
And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. And make sweet wine, but not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept, and the works of Ahab's houses are done. And, with, and you walk in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people. What's going on here? We find here they're being punished. They're being punished by God in verses 9 through 16. There was no charges against Jehovah. Jehovah had done nothing against them. Jehovah had instead provided for them. And in return, they were not walking humbly with their God. They were not showing love and mercy. Notice there in verse 10. He says, Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? In short measure, that is an abomination. Shall I count pure those with wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weight? He's saying, shall I say everybody's okay when they're actually in sin? That's what we find there in verses 10 and 11. You notice there in verse 9, notice how he begins this section. Wisdom shall see your name, hear the rod who has appointed it. What is that? We talk about sometimes that rod of correction. What was God going to do? He was going to correct them. And in fall, we find what he's going to do. He's going to punish those who are wicked. He talks about men who are rich men who are full of violence and, and how many have spoken lies and how they were deceitful there in verse 12. He's, we find there in verse 13, he says he'll make them sick. That means that nothing they do in verses 14 and following is going to turn out to any good. No matter what they sow, they're not going to reap. No matter how many olives they, they produce, they're not going to be able to use it because the Lord is punishing them, which means everything they're doing is going to come to nothing because of their sins. We continue reading there in verse 16. What's going on? They're going to be punished. He says in verse 16, And you walk in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing, therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people. They're going to be punished because of their sins they've committed before God. They were unjust and wicked people. They were also, no doubt, those who had no gratitude for what God had done for them, as we saw back in verse 4. Let's look now at verse 7, because, or chapter 7, because as we look at what God's going to do, there must be a way, obviously, to, to avoid this and to have uh, mercy found from God. Looking at Micah chapter 7, we find here seeking God's forgiveness and mercy. Looking at verses 1 through 6, we find that Micah confesses the sins of the people in verses 1 through 6. He says, Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, <clears throat> like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat off the first ripe uh, fruit which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among them. They all lie in wait for blood, as they all lie in wait to do evil. Every man hunts his brother with a net, which means they have turned against one another that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts, the judge seeks a bribe, and the great man utters his evil desire, so they scheme together. Which goes back to verse 2, right? There is no, there's no one upright among men. That's how bad they were. Mike is saying they're all going, going and doing evil. No one is upright. Even the judge is seeking a bribe. The prince is asking for gifts. I mean, if you want something done the right way, what do you have to do? You have to bribe the judge. You have to give the prince gifts. The idea of people basically being bought off. Looking at verse 4. The best of them, he says, is like a briar. The, the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. 
The day of your watchmen and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Does that sound familiar? That's what Christ said, wasn't it, back in the Gospel accounts? That man's enemies are those of his own household. We find that same idea back here in Micah. We have seen that everyone had turned against one another. And he says the very best of them there in verse 4 is like a briar, or the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge, which means they're very wicked people. They're very wicked people. Looking at verse 7 and following, looking at verse 7 through 13, we see Micah confesses their sins, and he calls on God to receive them. Look at verse 7. Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will, I will, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. He's talking about there are those who have committed sin and how they're going to have to endure the wrath of God until they repent. And he says, until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He says, he will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. We notice here he's talking about those also who would be allowed to, who would be those who would repent and come back to God. As you find there in verse 8, he says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. He says, I will arise. When I sit in darkness or in sin, he says, The Lord will be a light to me. It means the Lord will show me the way back to him, right? There in verse 8. We continue reading here looking at verse 10. He says, Then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. He's talking out here in verse 10 how those who have said, well, look, God's abandoned you, right? Kind of like Job's friends had back in the book of Job. They said, well, the Lord has done these things because you've done evil. But we find here in verse 10, Micah says here, those who, who ask or who made the statements of where is your God, he will say to them, verse 10, he says, my eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. Why? Because the Lord is with them. In the day when your walls are to be built, in, the day, in that day the decree shall go far and wide. In that day they shall come to you from Assyria and the fortified cities, from the fortress to the river, from sea to sea, and mountain to mountain. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it and for the fruit of their deeds. He wants God to forgive them, but we find here again punishment is going to come first to those who have committed sin and those who will not return to God. If you look at verse 14. He says here, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage who dwells solitarity, solitarity there in a woodland, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed and bash in Gilead as in the days of old. So we find here in verse 14, he's praying for God to return to him, to return to the people, to be their shepherd, because they were in sin there in verse 14. He says, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, right? He wants God to again shine upon them, but we know that first repentance must take place. 
We find in verses 15 through 17 the Lord's answer to the words of Micah. He says, As in the days when he came out of the land of Egypt, I will show you I will show them wonders. The nations shall see and be ashamed be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, they shall crawl from the holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. What's going to happen? The Lord is going to cause those who have done evil and those who will not repent to behave in such ways. It means they're going to be greatly, greatly humbled before God. Micah wants God's people to repent, but he also wants the wicked to be punished. As you look at verses 18 through 20, the last few verses of chapter 7, we find that praise is given to God here from Micah. Beginning in verse 18, he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnants of his heritage? He, has not, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. He's talking about there how the Lord will forgive those who come back to him. He says in verse 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnants of his heritage? When does that take place? Only at repentance. So the Lord will pardon their iniquity. He will pass over their transgression, not before repentance, though. How does he does not return his or retain rather his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. Notice there again, which means it's not the first time, it's happened before. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, that is their sins. The idea there is as if he is casting their sins. And he is casting them off there in verse 19. You will cast off, cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to, to our fathers from days of old. So praise is given to God here for his mercy upon those who are part of the spiritual remnants. And spiritual remnants are only going to be those who repent and come back to God. So we find in chapter 6 in Micah, the people complain against God. We find that God wants them to be sincere in their repentance and coming back to Him. We find that God uh, is going to punish the wicked in chapter 6 as well, as we find it also in chapter 7. We find Micah prays to God to punish the wicked, but also to spare the remnant, as we find here towards the latter part of chapter 7. What are some lessons for us today as you think about what Micah discusses here in chapter 6 and 7. The first is that Christians should be grateful to God. In Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, when the Lord began speaking, he talks about the idea of, them, about the idea of him having a complaint against the people. But we find here in verses 4 and 5, what, is, what has he done for them? He says he has brought them up in the land of Egypt. He has redeemed them from the house of bondage. He sent before them Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And what happened? We find they were not grateful for his blessings. He brought them out of bondage to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey, that is Israel. But they so many times were not grateful. 
We must be grateful for what God has done for us. The Christian has more reasons to be grateful than anyone else on earth. We think about what God has done for us spiritually. There's no better, no greater reason for us to be grateful. The forgiveness of our sins, the ability to, to have a right relationship with God, and to have heaven as our home. There is no one who should be more grateful to God than the Christian. We also think about another lesson for us today is that God desires a sincere change of heart. He desires sincerity from those who come to Him. We look at Micah chapter 6, going back to verse 7. We find that phrase there, with, with the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my, for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? You back up there in verse, in verse 6, he says, With what shall I come before the Lord? What will please God? And he goes on to list all these various things. And we have to ask that question, with what shall we come before God? We should come before God with a humble heart, with a broken spirit, looking for forgiveness as we repent. God provides, provides forgiveness and mercy to the humble heart that repents to Him and comes to Him seeking forgiveness. Micah chapter 7, looking at verse 18, it says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? And passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, some of those who would come back to God. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God wants us to go to heaven. He doesn't want anyone to go into eternal damnation. That's why we find there in verse 18 that he delights in mercy. He wants us to be able to have our sins forgiven, but we have to come to him in the right way. You ever try to help someone, and the whole time you're helping helping them, you're thinking, I hope that they will learn from this. And you think about God, how many times we, He has tried to bring people back to Him, hoping they will learn from from their mistakes. Because we cannot make people learn. We cannot make people do what is right. We cannot make people be sincere. But that's what God wanted in Micah's time, and that's still what He wants today. Sincerity in all aspects of our life before God. We must be sincere people. We would do well to remember what Micah says about what the Lord requires of us. In fact, one of our podcasters, who does one for us every, every week, he always ends his podcast with this verse talking about what does the Lord require of us. Well, what does the Lord require of us? Mike answers that question. To, what, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us. To do what is good and pleasing in His sight. To walk justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. You know, if we're going to do justly, we have to make sure we're those who also are going to come to God in repentance when we fail to do so. We're going to love mercy. We have to be those who also come to God when we fail to show mercy to others. And if we're going to be those who walk humbly with God, we must love mercy. We must do what is just, what is right before God. All those things hinge upon one another. Think about this for a second. The Lord does not require something that we cannot provide. The Lord does not ask of us more than what we can provide. For example, there are those today who teach that when you become a Christian, so-called, in their denomination, you have to speak in tongues. 
The Lord doesn't require that of us today, does He? It's a good thing because for us today, we cannot do that. I mean, we could get up and tongue-tie ourselves and mumble things, but that's not speaking in tongues. The Lord does not require of us more than what we can give Him. And what does the Lord require of us? As we saw a moment ago, what does He require of us? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Can we do those things? Yes. That is not above what we can give back to God. Man can provide humble service to God, but only if we choose to do so. We can require or provide what God requires of us, but we have to desire to do that. It has to be in sincerity. It has to be in truth. It has to be with a true desire to do that which is pleasing to God. You think about today how many times we see examples of insincerity. How many times we see those around us who show no true heart for what they're doing. God does not want that from us, does He? Christ talks about those who offer up lip service to, to God. He mentions there in Matthew those who honor God with their mouth and with their lips, but their heart is far from God, right? There was no sincerity. Now, we understand there's a lot more going on than that, but the bigger part of that was there was no sincerity. That's why they had deviated from God's Word. The thing about Micah's time, there was no sincerity. That's why they deviated from God's command. Why were they being, being reprimanded and being uh, punished by God? Because they lost their sincerity and walked away from Him. They were not loving justice and mercy and walking humbly with their God. For that reason, God came after them, as the Bible says there in chapter 7, with a rod, right? With a rod. We want to be those who desire to truly walk humbly with our God. Be those who recognize the many blessings that God has given us throughout this life and to have and to have that sincere desire to offer up a sincere and genuine love for Him each and every time we come to worship Him in every day of our lives. I challenge you to do one thing this week. I challenge you to think about how God has blessed you in this life. Take one day and think about how God has blessed you in that one day. And to think about how God has blessed us throughout the rest of our, throughout so many times in our life, at other times. So pick one day, and in that day, think about how God has blessed you that day. And I promise you, you will not leave disappointed. This evening, as you think about these things, think about what God has done for us, and think about the gratitude and sincerity God desires from us. If we can help you or assist you in any way, we'd be glad to do so. It's good we stand and sing the song that's been selected.